morning, everyone. It is good to celebrate today, gather together, and if you're able to join us to, tomorrow, even though there's not child care provided, we have an interactive service. So bring your kids. They're going to be a part of the service, and I'm excited about that. Well, it is good to gather together, and I'm excited to be with you this morning. This is a time that we have many ways to celebrate, and we celebrate in different ways through different traditions. And I don't know about you, but how many of you watch certain movies during this time? Or there's some of you that watch certain movies. There's certain movies, in fact, my wife stacked them up yesterday. We're like, all right, we got to get through these. I'm like, wow, okay, here we go. And my favorite one is It's a Wonderful Life, and there's just something about that movie I enjoy watching, so I'm excited to get with my kids together, and we'll watch that, and maybe we'll eat some chicken wings and ring bells or something and during that time. Another thing I like to do is eat food. I love how many of you enjoy eating food during the season. I'm raising two hands because I enjoy that. And <clears throat> although yesterday, <clears throat> excuse me, I asked my wife, I said, what's figgy pudding? It's in it's one of the songs I heard. I was like, wow, we got to try that out. Maybe not. I'll just stick with what I know. Another thing I love doing is playing games. How many of you play games with your families? I'm the kind of guy that loves board games and playing types of games. And during this season, with the kids off, we just play games through, throughout the day. And I enjoy doing that. And one of the games I love playing is called Scum. Anybody heard of that game? Okay, there's a few. Some of you play that with me, all right. Um, it's a card game in which you just deal out the cards. It's kind of fun where there is the king, and then there's the queen, and then there's... If you're in the middle, you're in the middle. But if you're the servant, it's bad. Because you get all the bad cards. But if you're scum, oh, that's the worst. You don't want to be scum. But when you're king, it's great. And the game's kind of based off kind of a, the ideals of cutthroat American capitalism where you know the, the big guy stays big. He gets all the big cards. The king stays the king. But the scum, man, the scum's always the scum unless you get the right cards. And I love that game because I love to show my power <laughs> and keep my power. And I like to play with it, thus it's the only game my wife doesn't like playing with me. Because I will literally be like, I'm the king, excuse me, this is my kingdom, would you go get me a sandwich? And they'll just look at me like, what? That's not part of the game. My wife has never gotten me a sandwich during that game. Because I like to play the part. I'll be like, in my kingdom, go ahead servants, loyal subjects, carry on. And I, I kind of play it up a little bit too much where she's like, that's enough, Cody. I'm not playing this game with you. Winners win because they're strong, right? Sometimes winners win because they're strong. Here's a picture of someone strong. Look at that guy. Winners win because they're strong. Or sometimes winners win because they're fast. Some of our pastors are great at winning. Pastor Luke likes to run often. Especially for the donut dash. If you didn't know, he likes donuts. Also, winners love to document how they win. For instance, when I win, I love on the card writing down, look, I won. Ha <laughs> ha I'm the king. In fact, often in my house, if you see, I used to have this book where we would document who won, who lost. And then it got to the point where like, Amber's like, no more doing that. And then I was like, okay, so inside the boxes now, I have my name and tally marks. I won this many times. <laughs> and when I die, I think, do I have another, do I have another slide? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I thought maybe I have other slides. But I love to do that. And we have two rules in our house about playing games. 
two rules, and I've said this before, maybe you remember. Number one is play to have fun, right? We play to have fun because competition, some people like competition and just, oh, let's, let's play to have fun. Rule number one. Rule number two, play that Cody wins. <laughs> now those are just games. We love playing games. But in life, there are people who are truly cutthroat. There are people who like to take control of the situation. And those sometimes use wrongful means to try to win and stay on top. And today we're going to walk through an important passage. We're going to look at two types of people. One is all about cutthroat, I'm going to be the king. And one, I am the king. And we're going to look at the results of true worship. And at the end, we're going to ask these two questions. Who's the king of your life? Which I want all of you to ponder and think. Who is the king of your life? And then secondly, do you worship this king and experience joy? And much of this section that we're going to be reading through has a lot of prophetic stuff this was fulfilled and it points to the old testament and we're going to not skip over that just because today's busy but we're going to save some of that for the next two years as we look at christ in the old testament so before we get into scripture would you pray with me father god we come before you and we ask that you would just move in our hearts and lord i pray lord that you would Truly, show Yourself to us. Lord, there are many things in our lives that can get in the way and get us distracted from true worship. Even our own cutthroat ambitions and our selfish desires of this season. So, King of the world, touch us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 2. And we're going to have a reader come. Matthew chapter 2. So if you get your Bibles and turn to Matthew 2, they're going to read this section and light the candle, the joy. We've had other candles. Love, hope, and peace. And today is joy. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, 
Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so I, could, I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where he, the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinities who were two years old and under, accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. What I want to do is I'm going to walk through this passage, kind of go verse at a time here, just looking at the different aspects of this, and then looking at two important things to think about. Let's start with the beginning. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so this is after he was born. Often we have um, some of our traditions. We have a nativity scene. I have we have like five nativity scenes at our house. One's a very fancy one. One's like a like a little plastic one that you can kind of squeeze the characters one's like made out of puffy things and we've got them spread out of the house but the main one my wife has where the wise men are kind of by the window right now far away and then you know, throughout the day you know or throughout the week or throughout the last couple weeks she and grace will kind of move them a little closer move them a little closer so that way on the morning christmas morning they'll be right there but this was after he was born so after jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Herod the Great was named king of this certain region by the Roman government in 40 BC. Bearing this name king of the region meant two important things, primarily for him. He must show his power, but also he must keep his power. In showing his power, he spent a lot of energy. Got a lot of taxes, got a lot of money, got a lot of revenue got created, and started making some great things happening in the area, in the area of public works. In fact, with the temple in Jerusalem, he decided let's add on to the temple. Let's make it larger and grander than it already is. Of course, we know that the temple was built to honor God. But he had different ideas. Herod expanded it for his own sake to show his power. Look how great I am. I'm even helping out the temple. The people revolted in that idea. And shortly before Herod died, 
they tore down and broke this big eagle, golden eagle, that he fastened to the temple, and they smashed it. They're like, this is not what it's about. This is to be about God. Herod was about showing his power. Also, Herod was about keeping his power. Historical documents reveal that he was a cruel, paranoid person. And often he had fits of jealousy trying to keep his power. He was so worried that someone would take his power outside and even inside his family. Historical documents talk about this. He was worried that his two sons would take over. He was so paranoid that he had them killed. Killed his two sons. And then killed his wife. He was so bad that even Caesar Augustus said this about Herod. It was better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Than Herod's son. Why? Because a pig at least would stay alive. If you're a son, you may die. His paranoid and cruelty is seen in these words that we read out of Matthew. He was all about showing his power and keeping his power. Let's continue with this. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. In the ancient world, there were certain people that were very wise and smart, and they got put into different categories. Some were great at building things. Some were great at studying documents. Some were great at studying the stars. And this is a group of royal astrologists who understood things. And they were called wise. That's where we get our term, the wise men. We call them wise men now. Later, stories and legends came about these people. In fact, in the 4th century, in the tombs, by Rome and Jerusalem, they would tell stories instead of just writing out, they would do it in pictures. So here's a picture, for instance, in the catacombs of the wise men. In fact, people would then just kind of, instead of writing out the whole story, they would do it in a picture. So they would do, well, there's three gifts, so let's put three people with it. And out of that, then we got three wise men, which isn't what the Bible says, but it was simple for them to kind of just have pictures depicted in that way. Since there are three gifts, there must be three wise men. And soon, another century later, then they became kings because they were so rich. But really, this was just a group of men who were very wise, smart, and they had expensive gifts. That's why we get that song, We Three Kings. Well, they weren't three kings. And when I would hear that of the Orient, I would think, oh, Asian. Well, no, this isn't really that. Because of the value of the gifts, they were very affluent, very priestly, some would say, and possibly from Persia. Because when we look at the historical documents, the Persians were big into astrology. And they must have known about and heard stories about a Messiah, a Jewish king is coming. And they didn't know, though, about the Old Testament. So what they did, it says, they came from the east, to Jerusalem. Why did they go to Jerusalem? Well, if a king is being bored, the born, that's where kings are born, in the capital city. So they went to the capital city. Hey, this is where the king must be born. Let's look at verse 2. The wise men asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star it, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now the wise men, they use their natural abilities to find out, looking at the stars, they've studied, they realize, okay, we've got to go to Jerusalem, there's a Jewish king being born. But they needed more information. They were led but they, by their wisdom, but they needed more information. And when they say, where is the one born king of the Jews? Herod begins to worry. He begins to worry because he needs to keep his power. What? There's a king coming? Another one? Oh, I need to stifle that right away. This became a direct challenge to him. And he's threatened. He's thinking, who's going to usurp my throne? Who's coming after me? Will this be my end? I don't want to be scum in the game. I need to be king and hold my power. He was filled with fear and the possibility that a true anointed king would come. So Herod is full of fear. And a man who would murder his children, murder his wife, is truly a perceived threat and would not hesitate to go after the Jews. No wonder Jerusalem was all in fear. Don't set off this powder keg of a guy. We're all in trouble. It's interesting that they say, we have come to worship Him. We'll get to that at the end of the sermon. Let's look at verse 4. When He called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod's confused. He needs guidance. He needs wisdom. So He calls a council together. He needs to figure out from the religious leaders who is this person? I must find out where he is, and he's going to track down Jesus. He doesn't know Scripture. They do. They, knowing the Old Testament, turn to Micah 5.2. Look at verse 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they turn to Scripture. Verse 7, Then Herod gets this information, calls the wise men secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. His cunning treachery, he's all about this, so he says, let's get in secret. I need to find out when this star appeared to you. Probably this is a little bit intense because he doesn't want anyone else to find out because he has different motives to keep his power. He wants the exact determination when the time has come, undoubtedly why, as we see later in the story, to kill this future king. So he gets them together he wants to eliminate his threat because he wants to keep his power. He wants to be king and not scum. Verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. He's got a plan. He wants to stay king. So he enlists the wise men saying, Hey, listen. You go out 
figure out where he's at. He tells them what the religious leaders told him about the Old Testament and sends them on to Bethlehem. Listen to what it says here. As soon as you find him, report to me. Again, he loves the secrecy. Don't let it publicly be known, but report to me so that I too may go and worship him. It's interesting he uses this. I want to worship him as well. Again, we'll get back to this phrase. Verse 9, and after they had heard the king, they went on their way. They saw the star that they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was at. So not far away from Jerusalem, about six miles, is Bethlehem. So they follow the star, get to Bethlehem, and they go to where his home is. Now, how many of you have ever looked up and saw stars before? I have. Often I will. I like looking at the, north, the northern star that we have. And looking that way, I like looking at the Big Dipper and showing how the Big Dipper points to the north star. And you can like pour water out and that's the north if you ever get lost. I like thinking through that stuff. But I often look up and go, which one is right above my house? Well, that's kind of hard. I literally can go, that one's above my house Go 10 miles over and go, yeah, that one's still above, wait, it's above here. I, I, as a little boy, I thought, how did they know? Did like the star go super long and kind of follow them? Here's the thing. This is important. Not only did they use their natural ability to figure out some stuff, your stories, okay, there's a Messiah coming. Okay, these stars, well, this star appears which I believe was supernatural. Like, okay, something's going on here. They also needed supernatural guidance to get to the right home. God is in control. God leads them to the right home where Jesus is staying. And this language is much like an exodus. The children of Israel needed to be guided. During the day, they were led by anybody know? By a what? A cloud. And by night, a what? A pillar of what? Fire. God led them, and here He leads, leads the wise men. Leads them to the place. Let's go to verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Matthew goes out of his way to not say, he could have just said, uh, they, were, they were happy. They were joyful. But instead, he's, he uses words, he says, they were overjoyed. They were full of joy. Not only did they rejoice, but they had a joy that was great and extreme. The intensity of their joy in the divine guidance to find this future king is expressed in this overwhelming joy. And often people at Christmas don't even get close to joy, let alone overwhelming joy. They got to the location and they are full of joy. Let's look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped Him. 
in the east in that area, in Persia and the other areas, it would be rightfully so to bow down, to put your head right on the ground when there was someone of royalty. And these eastern rulers show their honor by laying themselves down before Jesus. And in Matthew's mind, as we see he's writing, they know there's something special. He's not just king. They didn't, when they, you know, notice how Matthew says, doesn't say this. He doesn't say, well, when they got to Jerusalem, they saw Herod and they bowed down before Herod. No, they bowed before the true king. Then they opened their treasures. Take a look at verse 11. And presented him with gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now down through the centuries, all kind of ways of interpreting this has been done. Many have been very creative, I think, in ways of trying to metaphorically meetings behind these gifts. Some say gold was for his royalty. And frankincense was for his divinity. And myrrh was for his suffering and death. But these meanings are very unlikely. Gold was there. Frankincense and myrrh. But again, I think these are very unlikely to try to come up with some weird ways of saying what each of these meant. Also, there's many funny cartoons that try to explain some of these. Take a look at some of these here. Of course, I've got to get my glasses on for this part. We've got a couple cartoons. One would be, did you keep the receipt? Because I may want to return the gifts. Or another one, frankincense, not Frankenstein. Okay, I, I thought that was funny myself. Or this one here. Let's go this way to find the Christ child so that the blessed stars shineth not in our eyes. These, were, these three were not the wise men. Many years later, their descendants, Curly, Moe, and Larry, carried on their fine work. <laughs> I think that's all we have, yes. Those. So we got many kind of funny stories such as these, or sometimes people like to put these allegorical things to what these gifts were. First, we must know they're expensive gifts. How many of you would like to get a lot of gold for Christmas this year? Okay, well, sure, why not? They're expensive gifts given to a future king. Gold was highly prized as it was as it is today. Frankincense and myrrh should go together. They both were taken from trees and sticky sap to make this good smelling stuff. There were fragrant spices used in the best perfumes. So you got gold of high value and this beautiful smelling stuff. Secondly, they reflect Old Testament practice of royalty. In Psalm 72, all the kings fall down and give gifts of gold to the king. Isaiah 60 says, the nations rejoice and bring their riches. Gold and frankincense. They are lavish in their nature and make this scene very royal. So here's these wise men. They come with these great gifts to give to this royal king. Diapers may have been practical. They don't bring diapers though because the focus is royalty, not practicality. Royalty is the scene. Let's look at verse 12. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Again, 
God is in control. He's always in control. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Supernatural happens in this story. Look at me. Supernatural happens in your story also. The emphasis is on God is in control. Verse 13, When they had gone down, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left Egypt where he stayed there until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. The results of a madman's desires are so dangerous and treacherous. The slaughter of innocent children. A good modern song for Herod would be this. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Right? Three words that describe your heart. Stink, stank, stunk, as the songs say. What a wicked man to destroy and kill innocent children. Who would even think of that? Have you not seen what our country does? Yet divine providence is more powerful than Herod's desires. Amen? His plot is thwarted and the family is saved in the prophets in this process of this more scripture is fulfilled showing that god was ready for herod long before herod the wicked man was born god is in control verse 16 when herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the wise men he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in bethlehem in its vicinity, who were two years old and younger, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the wise men. Due to the angel's warning, the wise men slipped home and bypassed what Herod wanted. They didn't go to Jerusalem. Herod felt duped. He was outraged. They failed to return and inform him what was going on. Where is this child king? Feeling he had been made a fool of, he expands his plan. Not knowing the exact location, he decided to slaughter all the boys who were in this region. Apparently, when the wise men told them, when the star showed to him, he figured out, okay, within two years, two years ago, we got to figure this out. Let's get rid of this child. This guy was crazy. Consumed by his own evil desires. Later, in historical documents, it's written down that he requested 2,000 Jewish leaders be killed when he dies. These leaders would be crucified. So that way more people would mourn about his own death. Gratefully, it was never carried out. This wonderful story has many things to think about. Many things that sometimes we laugh about when we see the modern cartoons. But I would like to look at two aspects that are very important that should affect our lives. 
The first one is the King. Who is the King in your life today? Who is the King in your life and in this story? Herod thought it was him. He thought, I am the King. He kind of walked around, kind of like I play in the game Scum. I'm the King. Go get my sandwich, please. He thought he was in control because he was given power and a title. As we know, people of powers and titles can often get shipwrecked on the shore of their own selfish ambition. I see that as a pastor. Two famous pastors in Chicago this year have been shipwrecked by their own power and greed for more and things they have kept hidden. He thinks he's king over this region. And as we see in the story, he's very worried that a baby will usurp his throne. Now, usurp isn't a common phrase that we use today. When I play board games and I'm playing games like Scum, I'm always trying to be the king and make sure that person there doesn't usurp my throne, be the king, and I'm the scum. They try to seize, seize that position by force or trickery. When it comes to governments and kingdoms, a usurper is one who seizes power illegally and illegitimately. And the main issue in this story is who is the real king? There is a pretender who wants to be king of the Jews. And there is one who is truly born king of the Jews. In this story, Herod thinks that this usurper is a little unborn baby or a born child. In reality, Herod's the usurper. Herod's the one trying to take power and authority. Herod's the illegitimate king. And he's filled with fear that a true king might arrive and take his place. In contrast, the worldly king Herod, he's worldly. But the messianic king, he's divine. And his royalty is evident. Jesus comes. He comes and signals the victory of God over evil. Jesus brings life and freedom. Where Herod brings death and bondage. Jesus gives himself completely. Where Herod lives for himself completely. Jesus is the real king. Herod is the scum. This is a conflict. It personifies good versus evil. Herod's cunning, evil intentions and lies in his heart in keeping with the wicked world. The one who opposes the plots against God. I love how Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations conspire and evil peoples plot in vain? We have the same today. Many are wicked and plot against God. Many are wicked who go against His values. They want to find joy. They want to find peace, hope, and love. But they're doing it in wicked ways and they'll never find it. But the reaction of God is the same as in Psalm 2, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God not Herod or evil powers, is in control of this world and He is 
the king. And all those who rise against God are doomed. Who's the real king in your life? Is it you or is it God? If you think life is all about you, troubles are headed your way. If you make Jesus king of your life, true joy is headed your way. So who's the king in this story? It's Jesus. The second thing and last thing I want to look at is this. The concept of worship. Worship is big in this story. Worship is big in all of Scripture. As we see, there's this idea of worship. We have spent time in this book called Ephesians for a short time. And we realize that true thinking and theology, chapters 1, 2, and 3, compels our hearts and instructs our lives to respond in acts of worship, chapters 4, 5, and 6. Worship is the response drawing us deeper in relationship with God, the Father, through God, the Son, and by God, the Spirit. And the only proper response to the Christ King is to worship Him. Worship permeates the story. There's different people that represent different parts. There's a man, Herod, who says, I want to worship Him. Does he really mean that? No. He wants to worship his own idea. Himself. And there's great efforts he puts forth to find this baby so he can get his plans to keep his power. Worship is this external response involving our total being and total devotion. Worship is not just dressing up on Sunday and singing a couple praise songs and living your life differently the rest of the week. Worship is total devotion, total response of your total being to God. And we see this in the story. And something that's unique about worship is this that I found in this story. The way of all who seek Christ and worship is worship Him is one of obedience to His leading. you got some wise men who are walking around, see this star, and they kind of naturally figure stuff out, but they need supernatural help. They need to be led by God and obey that, and they find directly His house. They don't just look up in the stars and go, maybe it's that one. They are led by God and they obey His leading. Thus, that leads to great overjoying worship. You must obey God. Follow His leading. That leads to worship. We have come to worship Him. They have true understanding of worship compared to Herod's idea. I want to worship Him. These wise men are seekers. And there are many in this world wanting to find out what true joy is. The heart of this is God leading people. And it's possible that you might get involved in the busyness of the season. There's nothing wrong with enjoying some of the movies you watch, some of the food, some of the gifts. I've got a daughter who every day counts the gifts. We have this many gifts on the tree. I slip one out. Oh, we have another one! There's nothing wrong with that. But this season is to lead us to 
worship God. That should be the main focus. We must worship until you obey You truly won't worship God. He will lead you. The proper response to Jesus is worship. So do you worship and experience joy? Do you worship and experience joy? They come, they see Jesus, and they worship, and they are filled with joy because God led them there. This is very important. Jesus is the source of joy to all those who find Him. As the kind of popular saying nowadays is, Jesus is the reason for the season. Those who want true joy find it in Jesus. And there is worship. There is the giving of gifts. I love giving gifts. There's something about giving a gift to someone where they don't expect it as a chap the lead chaplain in rice lake we have two other chaplains two other pastors in town and i thought you know i want to thank them for their service they spend time caring for our law enforcement so i thought let me get them a cool gift so i was like i know what i'll do i will write each of their hometowns that they grew up in and i'll get them write their police department saying listen i'm a lead chaplain in rice lake we have, I have another chaplain who grew up in your hometown. Grew up in that, you know, your town is your hometown. Could I get a patch from the police department just to thank them? And I'm thinking, well, maybe they'll like it or maybe they won't. And, and I got one for, for one of the guys, and I got both of them sent. The department sent me one. So I made a little gift saying, hey, this is, this is for you. Thank you for your service. And one guy had no idea. He was like, oh, okay. Oh, thanks for the card. He opened it up, and he was like, wow, that's my hometown. I got in trouble one time with the police there. <laughs> Not because he did something wrong, but he was pretending to do something wrong. I'm like, why would you do that? He was overwhelmed. He's like, oh, this is so cool. Wow. It was just a little patch. The giving of gifts can bring such joy to people. How much greater is this? You are dead in your sins. Bondage. And Jesus has come. And you have life. and Joy everlasting. That is the greatest gift. So I encourage you this Christmas season, as you experience the joy, you often want to tell others. I make two phone calls when I shoot a deer during hunting season. I didn't clarify that. This year was a long year. I didn't, usually I get a deer in September, bow season, get a couple in November, then gun season. Oh yeah, I can do this. December's rolling and I haven't got a deer yet. I'm like, this is tough. Finally got a deer and I make two phone calls. I first call my wife and say this. Usually I call and I'll say, oh dear, no deer. I've been doing that all year. You know? Oh dear, no deer. Oh, okay. So she knows I'm safe. Or I'll say, babe, I got a deer. Oh, or I'll say this, Amber, I did not get one deer. I got two deer. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So I let her know, and the kids all know my little lines. Oh, dear, no deer. And then my second call is to my father-in-law. Dad, I got it. He would never hunt. He could never hunt. He had asthma his whole life. 
But I always call him and say, Dad, I got a deer. Oh, great. Oh, tell me what the story, you know. He's the one I can tell all about the blood trail I follow where the kids are. My wife, I don't tell him that part. I call my wife, and then I got my phone, and I realized he passed away now. I want to tell. There was something in me that hindered, like my heart was like, oh, I, I can't tell him. When you have true joy, you want to tell. I encourage you. This Christmas season, with your family, sit down, read Luke chapter 2 as a family. Share the good story of the King who's brought us life. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Jesus, I thank you that you are the King. We have many pseudo-kings around us. Many people wanting to claim the throne of our mind and hearts. We have many people in many different aspects of our life, maybe even our family, in our businesses, around us. Society wants to claim the throne in our hearts. But that belongs to You. Jesus, be the center. Be the center of our lives. May our hope be in You. May our true love come from the love that You loved us and gave us Your Son. And may this great peace and joy overflow from our hearts to our lips as we proclaim Your goodness. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to stand, join us as we sing in celebration.